Today, uh, we are in part three of our series, At the Movies. If you're new to Catalyst, we teach in series. Uh, a lot of times we'll be topical or we uh, may go through a book of the Bible. And uh, this series, we are looking at modern day parables. In the Gospels, Jesus often taught in story, in parable format. And really what movies are is a modern day parable. We're looking at popular movies and drawing out biblical truths. Uh, really an engaging and fun way to look at the scriptures uh, in new light and also discover some movies that you can watch later. In fact, after first service, uh, many people came up to to me afterwards and said, I'm going to go, I looked up already online where I can stream that movie and I'm going to stream it. So hopefully you'll feel the same after today. And uh, we're actually going to look at a movie today that some of you, maybe many of you haven't watched. And maybe after today, like many in first service, you will be inspired to watch. It's a movie called We Bought a Zoo. We Bought a Zoo, starring Matt Damon. Uh, If you haven't seen it, Uh, It's actually based on a true story. As crazy as the movie seems, it is based on a true story. And uh, what it's based upon is a gentleman, Benjamin Mee. Um, he He was recently lost his wife. And he and his two kids, they um, end up kind of moving on with their life. They buy a new house. And this new house that they purchase happens to be on the same property of an old zoo. True story. And he ends up restoring the zoo. Um, And through the process of the zoo being restored, we really see his life is restored. His soul is restored. He and his children rediscover joy in their life. And I really felt it was a relevant movie because the movie really deals with um, how we process pain in life. Has anybody else realized this, that, that life um, has a way of being hard at times. Come on. That, that pains of life, stress in life. And here's what I've discovered, both as, a, as, a, as myself personally, as a pastor, and then even my previous profession as a psychologist. This time of year, that even though many people sing joy to the world, this time of year, there are a lot of people who don't feel joy in their hearts. Because you kind of feel the compounded effect of 11 months out of the year. And there can be a lot of pain this time of year. The pain of unfulfilled dreams. Maybe you thought this was the year you were going to go back home to your family with the ring on your finger. But you're single again another Christmas. Or maybe the pain of you thought this was the year you would be welcoming in a baby and you could celebrate Christmas as a family. But after the third failed fertility treatment, you feel pain. Or maybe as you go home this Christmas, there'll be the pain as you look down the table and you'll see an empty seat of your grandfather who used to sit there or your grandmother or an aunt or an uncle and the pain of loss. And then it can be also just just kind of more normal, everyday stress and pain of, you know, maybe for you, you had these resolutions and goals at the end of the year. Maybe you had a resolution to lose 20 pounds and you only have 30 left to go. Come on. (laughs) Some of you got that. Some of you will later. At least I moved the needle. It's the opposite way. Just blame it on Thanksgiving, okay? Anybody else, you're like, man, the holidays were hard. It's like, I don't think it's more than the holidays there. It's more than the holidays. But the reality is that, is that pain is inevitable in life. And how do, we, 
I've really kind of entitled today is, is pain relief for our souls. How do we find relief when we feel pain on the inside of our lives? So here's my hope today is you're going to be inspired by God's word, that God will speak to you about how you can find relief this year in your souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, this morning, we just humble ourselves, God, uh, because we want to hear from you today. Uh, we love you. We honor you. We give you all of the glory. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. We're going to get three clips in the movie today. The first clip of the movie uh, is towards the middle of the movie. So we're going to bypass a lot. Let me give you context to kind of get you up to speed. The beginning of the movie begins with they had just lost, uh, Benjamin just lost his wife. And he's attempting to sort of, again, move on with his life after this tragic loss. So he buys this house that happens to be on the same property of a zoo, um, even to the dismay of some in his life and his brother. In fact, if you watch the whole movie, his brother at one point is like, uh, are you serious? You're buying a zoo. Uh, we also see in the first half of the movie a lot of evidence of unprocessed pain. Um, it, it manifests in both anger and crying with both him and his son. In fact, he and his son have a contentious relationship in part due to some unprocessed pain and grief in, that they're dealing with. And in this first clip we're going to see is really a moment where Benjamin begins to allow himself to feel and to process the pain. But then he kind of quickly puts an end to it. And uh, then we're going to come back with point one. So go ahead. Turn your attention to the screens. You can feel the emotion, can't you? You can feel the emotion beginning to, to bubble up. Then he shuts it down. Here's point number one. Um, that if we're going to experience pain relief in our souls, we must process our pain. And I added this because it's in the scriptures. With God. Let's process our pain. A few moments later, uh, we see in the movie, he actually takes a moment where he fully processes his pain and he goes through all of the pictures uh, in his role and it's a pretty moving moment in the, the movie but it's important that we process our pain because here's a fallacy that we can believe that we can believe we can just push our emotions down we can push the pain down here's what the research shows in psychology you cannot push it down it will bubble up in some way in your life we look at the scriptures, in fact, I hope this helps you. The scriptures, we see people processing pain. Jeremiah 8, verse 18, Jeremiah writes, My grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? They had just, what just happened was Jerusalem was just burned down. So he wasn't grieving the loss of a loved one. He was grieving the loss of his home city. So he's saying, I hurt. I'm in pain. Is there no medicine for my soul? Have you ever been there before? Were you in such pain where you feel like, man, is it, could I just take something to take this pain away that's in my soul? That's what Jeremiah was feeling. Have you realized this, that the pains in life, have you ever had a pain? It can almost feel like it takes the breath out of your soul sometimes. Like you go to work and you receive some really bad news and you feel like, 
Or all of a sudden that loved one who their cancer's been in remission and you get a call that cancer's come back far more aggressive. <gasps> or maybe you receive a relationship you've been in, a romantic relationship that you felt maybe were going well and it kind of comes to what seems to be a sudden end. <gasps> that pain can have a way of, of taking our breath from us. Psalm 6, David, better known as King David, says, writes this, I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. Right, watch this. My vision is blurred by my grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. <laughs> says, now David's pain he was experiencing here was actually self-inflicted. It was his own mistakes. Have you ever been there? I have. At the pain you're actually feeling is your own doing. Like you actually made some bad decisions and now you're having to deal with the, the, the repercussions of those poor decisions. But pain is pain. David was feeling that pain. And here's what we see that, that, that David says is that, and that this is the truth in our life. Pain can have a way of distorting our perspective. Anybody here, you're like me, if you could be honest in church, you have a propensity to over-dramatize your physical pain. Come on. Like if I have a head cold, I'm like, Christine, I'm going to bed for three days. I will see you in four. Come on, somebody. Bring me chicken noodle soup. All right. I'm, I don't know if I'll make it. Or come on, you, you get a pain. I know there's some of you out here. And you look it up on WebMD. And next thing you know, you're planning your funeral. And all you did was stub your toe. And you think you're dying. Some of you need to stay off WebMD. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but we can over-dramatize. Why? Because pain distorts. And we think, listen, what can happen? If you, if you focus too much on your pain, it will seem a whole lot larger than it actually is. Like that pain of that breakup, you think your whole life's falling apart. But no, a relationship just ended. That, that pain of of what's happening at work right now, if you're not careful, the pain at work can become a pain at home because pain has a way of distorting our perspective to where we're unable to see the purpose of God in our life. We can, we're unable to see what God's doing. We're unable to see what's even good in our life. Like that's why one of the best things you can do in your life is to daily express gratitude for what God's done. Because sometimes you think your life is far more painful than it actually is. The problem is you haven't actually thanked God for what you have. Therefore, you think you have far less than what you really do have. I'm not dismissing the pain. I'm not discounting the pain you're feeling. But I'm just telling you from personal experience that sometimes if you're not careful, pain can become far more mind than it should be. We're giving pain too much real estate in our minds, in our hearts. And he, here's the truth, though. If we don't process our pain, watch this. Unprocessed pain will lead to an unhealthy soul. I saw when I worked as a psychologist, I see it in my own life. I see it as a pastor. But if you don't process the pain of what happened at work, it will lead to an unhealthy soul. The pain of that relationship coming to an end. The pain of the loss of a loved one. Let me give you research. The American Psychiatric Association, they found that unprocessed grief is associated with clinical levels of depression and post-traumatic stress disorder and sleep disorders. 
Harvard Medical, in September of this year, published a report. Not only does unprocessed pain affect your mental health, it affects your physical health. Unprocessed emotional pain is associated with higher levels of stroke, diabetes, cancers. They said it affects your immune function. That we are not designed to push down our pain. It will just lead to deeper unhealth in your soul. In the same way you would not neglect a physical wound in your body, you should not neglect an emotional wound that's in your soul. I want to submit to you, perhaps some of us are far more wounded than we realize because of things that happen in our life. And it's just life that happens. Psalm 31, David says, be merciful to me, Lord. For I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. Verse 14, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. So David is processing here to give you context. He's fleeing for his life from Saul. He's telling God, God, I'm overwhelmed by what's happening around me right now. He says, but I trust in you, God. He runs to God for comfort. You know, back when my youngest Abigail was around two years old, and she would get different boo-boos. She'd bump her knee. She'd fall down. She would commonly run to myself or Christina for us to kiss her boo-boo. Some of you have kids still in that stage. Now, sometimes I think she was being too dramatic. Come on, somebody. No. But what was she doing? She knew that when she was in pain, she could run to her mom or her dad for comfort. Here's what Jesus says. Watch this. This almost seems like how can this be true? He says this, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Let us settle in. That word blessed means makarios. It means happy. It means happy are those who are mourning, who are grieving, who are in pain. Watch this. For they will be comforted. You know, one of the words for the Holy Spirit in scripture is comforter. Why are you blessed when you're in pain? Because you are now afforded an opportunity to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. That's why in moments like earlier when you're in worship and you sense something happening on the inside of you, what's actually happening is the comforter himself, the spirit of God is bringing comfort to your weary soul. That's the power of the spirit of God in our life, that when we're weary, we can go to him. When we're worn, we can put our trust in him. Psalm 55, 22 says, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. Here's my question for you is have you given your burden to God? I'm not just saying you gave your burden to God last week or even yesterday. Have you given your burdens to God today? Anybody else you're like me, you give your burden to God, and then you say, psych, and you take it back? <laughs> I'm just playing Jesus. I'm going to take it back right now. I'm going to go ahead and carry that burden, Lord. All right. <laughs> Here's how you know you're carrying a burden that you haven't given to God. You are still weighed down by the anxiety of it. You haven't released it. You're still kind of holding on to it. And if you're like me, then you need to keep every day. So every day, there are certain burdens I give the Lord back every day. 
Because I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to take this back. I need to give this back to you. I've been feeling some stress about this area of my life. I'm giving it back to you. The NIV version of that verse says this, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. You can cast your cares upon the Lord. Maybe today before your, your, pet, your, your head hits the pillow, have a moment. Will you just give your burdens to God? You, you just tell God, hey, listen, for some of you, before you, you go along your prayer list and all the things you're requesting from God, why don't you just tell God how you're doing really? When's the last time you were just honest with God? God, I'm overwhelmed right now. Like, like have you talked to God about the anxiety you feel about that situation at work? Have you talked to God about the sleepless nights you've had about your child? Have you talked to God about the stress you're carrying about your sick relative? Hey, listen, I want you to hear this. God cares for you, the Bible says. You can cast your anxieties upon him. You can cast your cares upon him because he, he cares for you. Before I go to point two, I want to show the second clip. The second clip is Benjamin and his son having a conversation. Let me set it up because you're going to notice they're sitting in a, an enclosure for a tiger at the zoo. This tiger has been kind of a central animal at this zoo, and he's really on his last leg. Um, this tiger is on the verge of, of death, and as, as Benjamin watches this tiger dying, it's, you, can, you can see in the movie, if you watch it, it's evoking the pain again in Benjamin's heart about the death of his wife. But he's in this enclosure, and his son comes in. As I said earlier, him and his son had a contentious relationship for the first half of the movie. Lots of fighting, arguing. Um, and in this moment, we're going to see, really, in a, in a way, a reconciliation between he and his son and we're going to see from this point on, if you watch the movie, um, both he and his son begin to walk in greater levels of wholeness and health. And really this moment is catalytic. So go ahead, turn your attention to the screen so we'll come back. You can almost see the countenance of Benjamin and his son change after this exchange. And here's point number two, it's important, is that for us to find relief of our pain, we have to find strength in social support. Genesis 37 this is Jacob had just heard news from his sons that his son Joseph had died. If you know the story, uh, Joseph did not die. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Nevertheless, Jacob is believing that his son Joseph is dead. And he begins to grieve from the pain he's feeling. The Bible says that Jacob tore his clothes, verse 34. He put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. Watch this. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He was pushing people away. Anybody else, if maybe you're like, I can be like this, that when you're walking through pain, you'll, you'll even, maybe without even fully realizing it, push people away, try to deal with it on your own. That you'll kind of say, I just need, I need, I need to, I need to, I need to get, get some things in order first. I know for me, I, I at times do not like to ask for help. It's a full transparency. Remember years ago when I was in, my, in college, I was on my undergrad, the College of William & Mary, and I was walking on the, the, the campus, and I could not find this building I was supposed to be in. 
but I had too much pride to ask for help. Come on, where, where, am, I, where, where are my people who, what, what we call us, are stubborn. Come on, somebody. Stubborn. And I mean, literally by about 25 minutes, I couldn't find it. So I broke down and I asked someone. Within three minutes, I was sitting in that building. Come on, somebody. But, but here's for some of you. When you walk through something, when what your soul needs is for you to draw closer to others, you push them away. And here's a lie that many of us can believe. I just need to get through this week. I just need to get through this month. I just need to get through this season. I just need to get through this year. And you spend your whole life trying to get through. And you never get through. And you stay in patterns of dysfunction because you've actually never allowed somebody in to help you. Can I help somebody else out? The way that God designed you is your soul cannot find relief all by yourself. That's why the Bible says those who isolate themselves rage against all wise judgment. That's a, that's a much more kind way to say when you isolate yourself and you don't open up with anybody, you are not acting intelligently. <laughs> like you, because your soul needs other people for you to be open and honest with. In John 11, we see Mary and Martha, when they lose their brother, Jack, uh, lose their brother Lazarus, the Bible says many people, verse 19, had come to console Mary and, Mar- and Martha and Mary in their loss because we need other people. And, and may I just encourage you, some of you might believe the lie that this time of year especially, can I help uncover a lie? That you'll think, well, life's just too busy right now. Hey, a friend who loves you is not too busy to help you. Hey, that group member who loves you is not too busy to pray with you, to listen to you. Because this time of year can be hard for a lot of people. And, and to be, to reach out for help. I love what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.12. He says this, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two that stand back to back can conquer. The context of this scripture was Solomon was writing about people were walking along the streets and they were being robbed. And he says, hey, instead of walking by yourself and getting your, your, your things taken, why don't you walk with somebody else? Because then you can defend yourself. That you need other people in your life because pain can have a way of knocking you down. The pain of grief can knock you down. The pain of a hard season can knock you down. The pain of a loss of relationship can knock you down. The pain of your child struggling can knock you down. The pain of financial hardship can knock you down. And Solomon says, have somebody else who can watch your back. A couple of holidays ago, we were in Pennsylvania visiting family, and we went to this playground, this indoor playground with our kids. And my two oldest, Hannah and Judah, we did this laser tag. And it was Hannah and Judah and myself, and they split us up in teams. And we were facing off against a group of, of, of kids. I think the oldest was like 14 and then two other younger kids, kind of like Hannah and Judah's age. So we start the game and we all split up, myself and Hannah and Judah, and we just start to be like brutalized. Like they just keep, it's like they were like, you know, snipers or army rangers, like these kids. I'm like, who are your father and mother? <laughs> what are they doing at home with you? So like everywhere you turn, you get hit. So they had a halftime. They show us the score. 
So I pull Hannah and Judah and I said, listen. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to circle up. And we're going to watch those backs. And we're going to take these kids out. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I, was, I was dead serious. I'm competitive. I don't even care what I'm doing. I'm going to win. Okay, I'm going to win. So I said, let's do this. So we went in. That's what we did. So when we walked out and showed a final score, guess who won? Your boy, okay? Now, was I 30 years older than the other team? I was. <laughs> did I care? No. I'm trying to teach these kids a lesson in life. Life is hard. You will lose sometimes. Come on, somebody. Now, I told people I won for my kids, but I really won for myself. So that's right. What? Laser tag. Hey, but listen, we were better watching each other's backs together. That applies in life. Like, we are better when we watch each other's backs together. Now, maybe you're like, hey, pastor, I'm having a great year. I don't have like any kind of pain, any stress in my life. Well, God bless you, okay? You can teach us all how to be perfect. <laughs> Apparently, you're Jesus, so we're glad you're here. I'm just kidding. Not really, but <laughs> maybe you're the cause of pain in people's lives. I'm just kidding. Okay, I got to stop. I'm going too far. I'm getting really, I'm going to rewind that a little bit. No, but in all sincerity, check in on your friends this month. You don't know the power of a check-in. Of you just check. I checked in on a friend this week, and he needed a check-in. You don't know how much it will mean to somebody. Hey, I'm praying for you this morning. Hey, how's everything going? It can be a simple text. The power of your check you know what, you know what a check-in does? It lets somebody else know there's somebody else there who cares. We can do so much. So we need support. Before I jump into the third clip, let me give context. It's our last and final clip. This is the end of the movie. And what happened between the last clip is after he and his son have this kind of catalytic conversation, they begin to work to restore this zoo. The zoo was shut down and they fully restored the zoo. They have an opening day and have great success. In the beginning of the movie, if you watch the whole movie, um, he, he and his brother, uh, Benjamin and his brother, are going out to breakfast. And his brother brings up, hey, why don't we go to this cafe? And it was the cafe where Benjamin met his wife. He said, I can't go to that. Here's a sign you know you have some unprocessed pain is you avoid things that remind you of that pain. I can't go, I can't go. Now, fast forward the end of the movie, after he's processed his pain, after he's gotten some support, he now brings his kids back to that cafe. And he walks them through the memory of meeting their mother. And now it's no longer this painful sorrowful, can't talk about a memory, but now you're going to see it actually brings joy as they recall her life. So go ahead and check out this one. If you need tissues, just ask the person next to you. <laughs> we see they go back to this cafe and, and Benjamin has a different perspective. Before it was just total pain, a void, don't want to talk about it. In fact, in the beginning of the movie, his brother's like trying to ask him about it. Like, well, hey, you got you to gotta kind of move on. I don't want to talk about it. Just kind of. To now, 
he's a different person. And now they're able to relive this memory, this moment with joy, laughter in their life. They have a different perspective. And here's what the scriptures show us. It's important that for us to have pain relief in our souls, we must right-size our perspective in God's presence. Isaiah 61, Isaiah the prophet writes this. In fact, this prophecy was read by Jesus in the Gospels. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That oil of joy, what it was, they would put olive oil on the face at a party and your face would glow. It represented the joy of the Lord. That garment of praise would be this colorful, bright garment. God says, I want to take those ashes and in exchange give you a crown of beauty. I want to give you the oil of joy. I want to give you the garment of praise. Jesus says he wants to exchange your sorrow with joy. But watch this. And their circumstance never changed. That God wants to give you a joy that is unconditional. That is not circumstantial. That even when you're in the pain, you have a garment of praise. That even when you're feeling sorrow, what did Paul say in the Corinthian church? He said, I am sorrowful, yet I'm always rejoicing. Why? Because as Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures ever." More That in the presence of God, we can experience a joy that is not limited by circumstances or conditions. Here's what it means that even in the midst of the deepest pain, even in the midst of unresolved problems, even if your life never changes, you can have unspeakable joy because of the presence of God. That's why Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8, he reminded the people, even when the walls were built around Jerusalem, may I remind you, our joy is not found in walls being rebuilt. Our joy is not found in problems being resolved. Our joy is not found in pain being relieved. Our joy is found in God. And when you get that, it doesn't matter what you walk through. You have joy within your grasp every day. The danger in a church environment like this is you can see someone lifting their hands and singing a song and we can make the false presumption their life must be nice. And you may not know they're walking through a cancer diagnosis. You may not know they're walking through relational tension in their marriage. You may not know they were just laid off. You may not know they have more month and money. You may not know the hardship they're walking through with their kid at school. But they know the joy of the Lord is my strength. And in his presence, there is unconditional joy. It's not false, it's not forced, it's not facilitated, it's not manifested. It is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. He is the oil of joy. He is our joy. 
And in his presence, our perspective shifts. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 5 that we can rejoice when we run, watch this, into problems and trials. Now think how crazy that sounds. Now imagine you receive the worst news of your life tomorrow. And I, as a loving pastor, I'll give you a call. How you doing? Rejoice! (laughs) You'd be like, I need a new church. That's what Paul's doing. I want you to catch this though. Here's why. Because Paul had a change of perspective. He says, rejoice. When we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strength is a confident hope of our salvation. Paul says, Paul had a different perspective. He didn't view the pain of his life as, oh, woe is me. He said, I can rejoice because God works all things together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That it's actually through the pain and hardship of life that I develop a strength of character. And that character produces hope that reminds me of our salvation that does not rest on the things of this world but rests in Christ. So Paul also said this in Romans 8.18. Before you show it, team, before you show it, don't show it yet. As your pastor, if you've been a part of this church, one of the things we aim to do with our teaching is to help you in the here and now. Because we believe the Bible has application for our everyday life. Help you in your marriage and in your relationships and your finances and your work life and all, all of life. We want to help you. But I would be remiss... And I would not be doing my due diligence as a pastor if I led you to believe that the joy of life is getting that problem resolved. That the joy of life is getting all of your stressors taken away. Or the joy of life is getting your finances in order. Or the joy of life is getting your marriage the healthiest it can be. That's not true, actually. Because if that was true, then none of the disciples, of Jesus' early disciples, some were crucified upside down. Like they, they, they didn't have all of their problems on earth resolved. Here's the good news of the gospel, church. Romans 8.18, Paul says, what we suffer now, loss, hardship, stress, sickness, struggle, pain, compares, does not compare to the glory he will reveal to us later. That's why Paul says, I don't fix my eyes on that which is seen. I fix my eyes on that which is unseen because that which is seen is temporal, but that which is unseen is eternal. That our joy comes from not, man, well, one day, man, when I get that promotion, then I'm going to, that's the joy of the Lord. Oh, one day when I find that one and I can come home with the ring on my finger, that's the joy of the Lord. And when we finally get pregnant, that's the joy of the Lord. When I get that dream home, that's the joy of the Lord. No, no, no. It's when we're suffering now and there's pain now, hardship now that nothing compares to the glory that will be revealed one day in eternity when we stand before King Jesus that all of a sudden all the pain, all the hardship all the loss, all the difficulty it pales 
So Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grief, where is your sting? Oh, sickness, where is your sting? Oh, depression, where is your sting? Oh, addiction, where is your sting? Oh, physical illness, where is your sting? Your sting has been removed by the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Revelation 21.4 reminds us, at the end, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things will pass away. Do you know why you can have joy today? And I don't know the specifics of your life. But here's what I know. You can still have joy today regardless of what you're walking through. Because the joy of the Lord, the fullness of it, the Bible says, is found in his presence. It's found in Christ. And that's how we experience pain relief for our souls. It's not in the pain going away. It's in the greatest anesthetic the world's ever known. It's the presence of Almighty God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the wonderful counselor, the Prince of peace, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to pray with you, church.